0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Hey, today we're going to be in John 17. John 17. So get your Bible app open or your print Bible to John chapter 17. This is a powerful, powerful chapter. It's called the Farewell Discourse. It's kind of Jesus' semi-sweet, sweet and sour goodbye. It's an address, a really important address through chapters 13 onward that Jesus gives to his people. And he has a prayer. He actually has a prayer for his people in this chapter, chapter 17. And in chapter 17, you're going to see this prayer. It's couched in the context of protection. You kids ever felt in danger before? You ever felt worried or troubled that you were in danger? We all have. Whether we're kids, elementary age, or whether we're adults, we've felt at danger before. Maybe during this pandemic season, we've felt in danger before. And Jesus, in this phenomenal moment, prays for our protection. And I want to give you a couple tips, some tools. I'm going to give you five of them to be exact. These are things that are imparted to you from Jesus in his prayer request to the Father. But specifically, there are two tools to do battle. You know, this season of politics, it's not even nearly geared up as much as it's going to be come a month or two. But you may feel like you've been in a battle the last four or five months, you may feel like you're in a battle today getting ready for the political season. You know, the battles, I always say, are, are lost and won in the mind. Right here. Before ever they're out here and you're quarreling and you have a conflict with someone relationally, they're right here in the mind. And God knew that. Jesus knew that. The authors of the Bible knew that. And they wanted to give us tools for fighting those mental battles, you know? And I'm going to play a video clip, if all goes accordingly, with the sound tech and the video tech and the experts. It's super fast. and super funny. It's okay to laugh, all right? From one of my favorite movies all the time called Nacho Libre. It's a story about a priest churned luchador, wrestler. And he's going to give you a little tool about what it's like to fight and win mental battles, especially when the enemy, that is Satan, just uh, demystify it for a second. We believe that he's real. Bible talks about him. And he comes at us mentally all the time, comes at us, tries to tear us down. And what you'll see in this video, t- this clip, is one of two images that are seared in my mind forever when I think about doing battle and winning, okay? So you're going to watch this, and you, like me, you're gonna, it's going to be seared in your brain forever, okay? It's funny, you can laugh, but it's a great tool as well. Watch this. This is what we do when the enemy tries to come at us with stuff. Surprise. <laughs> it's so fast. I told you, I tried to warn you. You probably couldn't even see it with the glare. You got Nacho there and his sidekick in the wrestling ring. And he comes at him with a corn and they're filled with calories. That's probably why he's shoving them out of his face. It's like the enemy. It's like the devil coming to you with the temptation to junk food. And what does he say? He says, get that corn out of my face. Uh, and he whacks it. He just swats it out of sight, out of mind. And we get to do the same thing when the enemy comes at us. With every thought of despair, anyone been despairing in the last five months? With any, any thought of loneliness and isolation, anyone felt that in the last five months? Any thoughts, feelings, or impressions of, of, of guilt, of shame, of anxiety, of worry, of fear, of anger, of lust, of temptation? Those things will come at us in this world all the time. But I'm going to tell you using John 17, we have very real tools available to us to fight those battles and to win, to fight those battles and to win. This series, you guys, Faith and Politics, we've learned a lot about what Faith and Politics is really about. It's not just about social issues. Faith and Politics has been about our allegiances. Where do our allegiances lie? To presidential administration, to political party social action, political action, committee, or to Jesus? Is he really our Lord and President and Governor? Does he rule our heart, our minds, our lives, our pocketbooks? Does he rule everything or not? The Bible has a lot to say about that. This series is about our discipleship, how we follow Jesus, how we learn to follow Jesus in everything we do and everything we are. Are we becoming more a student of a political party or more a student of Jesus? Politics and faith has been about that. And of course, it's been about loving our neighbor. That's come through really clear in the last five weeks of the series. We know that's one of the big ideas of this series. Do we love our neighbors? The greatest commandment, the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked and he responded. This is a sum of all the law and the prophets and everything that's been written in the Bible so far is this. Love God and love your neighbor. Do we have a mastery in that, you guys, as Christians? This has been the challenge of this series. Today, like I said, we're going to just go through really quick these five principles found in John 17 that Jesus prays for us. And before we get into point number one, and you're going to fill in your blanks, I love that. My son right here is three. He's going to fill in his blanks, right, Cruz? you going to fill in the blanks? Yeah, I know you are, and you're going to do great. It's going to be fantastic. Before we get into that, we have this little introduction paragraph that's so important for everything else we do. Jesus, in verse 9, John 17, verse 9, he says, I am praying on behalf of them, that is, the disciples. That's us today. Not just the 12, but modern day today, living in this century, disciples of Jesus. I'm not praying on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those who have, you have given me, Lord. This is Jesus to the Father. Because they belong to you. And everything I have belongs to you. And everything you have belongs to me. And I've been glorified by them. He's saying, everything I have, i give into the disciples. I give to you the worldwide body of believers today. All that I have, I extend to you, right? The, the, the apostles would later say that. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you as Christians today. Is that profound? It may seem like a basic theology starting place, like, like yeah, we have some cool stuff in our disposal, but I think we live like daily in our daily lives with some amnesia about that fact what Jesus has, he gives to us freely and totally. And Jesus was in the Father, man. He was in the Father. And all that the Father has is given to the Son. And all that the Son has, we then have. We read this kid's book. My kids read this book. You guys remember this book about the warriors, the kid warriors? Evie, you remember that book? Yeah, this book is about raising kids up as spiritual warriors. The, 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 the heroes of the book are not grown-ups and adults. They're kids, just like you guys. And they have this figure that comes to them like the Holy Spirit. His name's Ruach. Made up name. But he's a complete figure that represents the Holy Spirit, God. And he has this saying, no matter what battle the kids fight. And the kids have armor. They put on the armor of God. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Ephesians 6. Does that sound familiar? They put on this armor and they learn to do battle. And every single time they get freaked out. And they face a war. And they're filled with fear. And they face something they've never seen before. Does that sound familiar? In this unprecedented season. Things we've never faced before. What does Ruach say to them? He says, you have everything you need. That's it. You have everything you need. Can I just get some heads just nodding real subtly this morning? That's what you have, you guys. That's the promise to every single believer, to every single Christian today. That's what you have. You have everything you need in Jesus today, right now, for these times. You think Jesus didn't know about these times we were going to be living in? Well. Whoopsies, (laughs) Uh, whoopsies, <laughs> it's a surprise for Jesus. No, man, he knew he knew about every single battle, every single political trial, every single pandemic and epidemic. He knew, he knew, and still, we have everything we need. I'm I, sorry, I, I know that's just the introduction. That's a bonus for your notes at home. That's an extra, that's called extra credit. You're welcome. You're gonna score 102 or 105 on today's exam. Let's get into point number one. We are, fill in the blank, we are one. We are one. We are one in the Father, and we are one in another as believers. We are one. Jesus, this is Jesus praying to the Father. Holy Father, Daddy, he says, keep them safe in your name that you have given me. So they may be one just as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them safe and watched over them in your name. That's a key word. We're gonna come back to that later. In your name that you have given me. Not one of them was lost. You see, as I went into my study this week, I did a little digging into church history. As I I looked up this farewell discourse, there's all this original quotes from the early, early church fathers, guys that lived in the second century, the first bishops, the first pastors. And they knew this battle of oneness with Jesus, oneness with the Father, was so real for them because they wouldn't survive If they didn't have one with Jesus and one with his word. Well, what do you mean, Ben? Well, this is what I mean. Before the 3rd and 4th century, when we had our first Christian emperor, which was Constantine, just a little quick history lesson, really quick, I swear, okay? Constantine, who was the first, quote-unquote, Christian emperor, he was just more favorable to Christians. Prior to that time, Christians were getting hung up and put on fire and crucified and killed in every which way. They had a battle, And unless they knew oneness in the Father and his word, they were not going to make it. And I'll tell you what, they made the name of Jesus famous by their unity and their love. It's an issue that we have today. When I think about a lot of my friends and a lot of my fellow Christians who use that name, and I think particularly around their social media practice, where I see their lifestyle outside of Sunday morning, I think, man, are we making the name of Jesus famous right now? Or does it feel like my friends who are non-believers are better Christians than my Christian friends? I've said it once, I'll say it again. We have a brand crisis in the church today. And these first century, second century, third century authors, they knew this. One of them, his name was Tertullian. Say Tertullian. Say it one more time. Say Tertullian. Yeah, Tertullian, that's not a type of reptile. Okay, it's a person. I see you, Evie. Yep, this is not a science study today. It's for the church. Tertullian was one of those early church fathers, one of those bishops, those pastors, those leaders. And he was addressing this conflict. He said, love is not this original concept right now, but the way the Christians love one another. This is what he said. This is a direct quote. See, they say how they love one another, how they're ready even to die for one another. It wasn't that love was so original as a virtue. It was just that in this period, in the second century, The Christians appear to have practiced it much more effectively than any other group. That's crazy. That's heavy hitting. That will preach. Their oneness, their unity, their love for one another and in the Father was so strong and so loud that people came to faith in droves because of the authenticity of their unity and their love. And yet we have a challenge today because fast forward one whole century, 100 years later, you get this Christian emperor. Some of us today in this political dialogue, that's what we want in our hearts. We're asking for the church and the state to be aligned. Well, give me a Christian president, man, because that will fix everything. We tried that. About 1,600 years ago, we tried that. It didn't work so well, man. It didn't work so well. We don't need a centralized church in the White House. We need a church here, everywhere, around the world that is oriented around God's unity and God's love for one another. And they even found this out in the fourth century. Now they're getting kind of fat and happy, you know? They got the Christian emperor in office. And now the Christian emperor is bringing all the most famous bishops and pastors to the capital. And these Christians are losing their way. They're forgetting what it means to live for Jesus. And this same guy, Tertullian, and this other guy, one of his brothers, Chrysostom, say, "Chrysostom, y'all are speaking Greek. It's so good. This is a breakout of another language. This is crazy." And he said, "He said, look at some of these non Christians are even being caused to stumble because of the way we as Christians are living in error." He said, "They're watching this right now. Even back then, sixteen hundred years ago, they saw that the church had a brand crisis." That they, in word, believed in Jesus. In word, they went to church. But indeed, they lost their love, man. They lost their unity. And the same author, commenting on this original church father, says in parts of the world today, that is modernity here today, the church continues to be the greatest obstacle. The church is the greatest obstacle to people's coming to believe that the Son has come into the world and was sent by the Father. Oh, that's a challenge, man. That strikes me right in the heart to know that people in my generation and younger have left the church, have fallen away from the church, hate the church because they feel like they've found better people outside the church. Oh, kills me. That's why I do what I do, one of the reasons. But you know, I have reason for encouragement too because this last week there was a young woman who scheduled a meeting with me because thank God she has friends who are Non-believers. Okay? She didn't join the church and then lose all her non-believing, non-Christian friends. She says relationship with people in the world. And she was getting attacked, kind of, from all sides. People asking questions. What do you believe? And what's your God and your Bible have to say about these political, social times today? What are the answers the Bible has for today? This ancient document has got nothing to say about our social issues today. And so what did she do? This is the first thing. I haven't even got to the point of the story. But this is the first thing she did. Not, not the most brilliant thing she did, which was not coming to me. That was cool. But that was not the brilliant thing she did. You know what the brilliant thing was that she did? She started a Bible in a year reading plan. That's what she did. She went to the Word as her weaponry, as her answer. And then she came to me and she said she wanted to make sense of some of the, some of the scriptures that she was reading in the first five books of the Bible. And she had these questions about immigration. And she had these questions about our LGBT community. And all these questions. What does the Bible say, Ben? What does the church believe about these things? And that's not my point in bringing it up is to say my answers. My point is, is it gave me tremendous hope to see a young person taking the steps to first be in the world, to be salt in life and love to the world, and to answer those questions with a biblical worldview. She's a sign of a new generation, man, who's gonna answer with authority and respect the way that any other worldview, any other religion can't answer because the love as defined in the Bible is different and more remarkable. It says, I will die for my friend in the church. There's no other, there's no other worldview. There's no other religion that says that. I will die for my friend in the faith. No, no, no. It's a, every other worldview is basically betterment of self. How can I get better? And this young woman is coming to with these questions and she's gonna be on such solid ground, let me tell you right now. I'm voting for her for president. Okay, that's really good. So, That's number one. That's all just number one. They get shorter. Kids, where's my kids? They're in the playground. It gets shorter, shepherd. It gets shorter. That was just number one. We are one. Number two, we are joyful in the Lord. We are joyful in the Lord, not circumstance. Man, if we were joyful in circumstance, we would have been done like, what, four or five months ago? Anyone else would have just rolled over four or five months ago and said, nah, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, That's what happens in our joys and circumstance. Here's what Jesus says about it. Verse 13. But now I am coming to you and I am saying these things in the world. So they may experience my what? My joy completed in themselves. Check this out. This is a faith in politics series. Who wants to talk about conspiracy theories? Anyone want to talk about conspiracy theories? Courtney in the back. She's down. Yes. Couple fans. Okay, you don't know where I'm going. You think I do? You think you do? We got a June bug here, invader. You guys just gotta swat, swat it. Like I said, we're cool with distractions. Here he comes. Just come all the way up here with me. About a week ago, I had to, I had to take one of those beetles out of here and get rid of them. There you go, Shannon. You're not scared. You guys at home, you're being rescued from these, these Japanese beetles or whatever they are. I don't know their name. Joe handled it. There we go. Way to go. Just gotta call out the distractions. I think conspiracy theories. Whoa. Dun dun da got to talk about it. It's cool. We can talk about it. It's politics and faith series. Let's talk about it. Here's my deal. Here's my conclusion. I'm cool with it, but I'm cool with it. As long as it leads to two things. Number one, your trust is in the Lord, not the theory. That's the first thing. Your trust is in the Lord, not the theory. That's it. Because what the theory tries to do as I look at my, my friends, my Christian friends and brothers and sisters who are sharing a lot of this stuff It's the predominant life force of their social media posting today. Here's what I think. A theory is the attempt to explain a lot of things. You know, here we are in this season where some people are getting sick and then some people even more are dying and i got to explain it. And i got to connect the dots because my mind wants to connect all the dots. Because we have this unbelievable freak out tension of living in the mystery. (laughs) Just living in the unknown. Not knowing all what God may be up to in this season. We freak out. But... If you can say that, if you can outline the theories and you can share the theories, and it's your, your trust is not in the theory but in the Lord, I'm good with it. It's good. And the second one, more to my point about joy, is this: conspiracy theories, cool. As long as you're not racked with anxiety, fear, depression, and worry, or leading other people into those things, cool. Let's go. Let's keep rolling. That's fine. That's fine with me. But what I see in a lot of my friends who are posting, and this is dominated their posting, like it went from sunsets and food, and check out my God, my nails did, to like dun dun dun, the world is ending, and I can tell you why and how. When did we become Jesus overnight that we can answer everything ever? And I just as I'm consuming it, I'm getting a little bit troubled. So all I'm saying is that go for it. Go crazy. Help people understand some things that maybe we're blind to, but make sure you don't lose your joy. The verse says, Jesus says we have complete joy in him. As Christians, you guys, it's one of the marks of our faith is that we can remain joy-filled when the rest of the world is falling apart. We never lose our joy despite the circumstances. That's just number two. We are joyful. Number three is where it gets fun. I'm gonna call my kids to pay attention, make sure they're watching on the screen because this is gonna be more fun than even the games they're playing right now. Number three, we are protected we are protected, and it says this in verse 11, by his name, and it says here in verse 14, by his word. We are protected by his name and his word. Jesus continues in his prayer to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Listen to this. This is crazy prays like this. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. Not long ago, I was listening to Christian radio, a couple of years probably ago, and they were talking about one of the pastors, one of the Christian leaders who had been imprisoned in Iran because of his missionary work there. And they were interviewing not, you know, a local American pundit or, you know, the next political Christian, you know, advocacy group. They were interviewing two missionaries, people who have frontline experience of what it's like to go to a place like Iran and do work there for Jesus. And the missionaries, you know what they said when when they were asked, how should we pray? The missionaries didn't say, you need to pray for a radical release of the pastor so we can come home as soon as possible and share the testimony. And you need to pray for the overthrow of that dictator government. This is what they did. They said, would you pray that he would be used powerfully right where he is in his prison cell so that his jailers may come to know Jesus? So that the the other people, the national leaders of that place would come to know Jesus. For the people that bring his meals would come to know Jesus. Because he's salt and light in the darkest place in the whole world. That's a crazy way to pray. That's a crazy thing to ask. Yes, of course we pray for freedom. Yes, of course we pray for world governments to be overthrown and and be alive in, in Jesus' name. Sure, of course, that's great. But let us not forget also how Paul was used when he was jailed. How Peter was used when he was jailed. There are modern day examples of this all the time. We just forget that there is a great big need out there. And there's a global Christian community outside of America that should form our view today as Christians living in America. There's a different way to pray and think as we link arms, as we are one with our worldwide body of believers. Here's, the big, here's something even crazier that I connected from this passage as I was looking at it. It was around about this verse. As Jesus was praying for our protection, Here was the thought. As Jesus was praying for our protection, I just thought to myself, think about this question. Just pause everything in your mind, in your body, in your heart right now. Just think about this. Jesus was making requests to the Father. Did the Father answer him? The whole context of this passage was Jesus' request for protection. Do you think as good as the Father is to you and me, as good as the Father is to you and me, He hears every prayer, big or small. He listens, he responds, sometimes not in the way that we see. But he listened to every single prayer from me and you. Do you think that he was faithful and just and good to listen and respond to the prayer from his son, Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. He was. That's the short answer. Yes, he was. He did. His answer, his prayers, you guys, for protection have been answered. And he gives us two amazing tools, the word and his name. The word and his name. See, you guys, when we feel like we're fighting a battle, sometimes we get a spirit of loss. Sometimes we get a spirit of defeat, like it's done, like it's not already been won, like victory has not already been secured for us on the cross the day that Jesus died and rose again. And we're swinging and fighting and flailing, and we're like, if only God would speak for today. And then we crack open the word of God and say, oh, Or maybe we don't even crack open the word of God. We just call on his name and we just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We're able to breathe again. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. What does the Bible say elsewhere about this battle and how victory is already ours? Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take what? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's the thought. All those thoughts I said before, malice, lust, anger, greed. Is here, and here's Christ. The thought is obedient to Christ, Paul said. And then finally in James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God. This is huge. I'm gonna give you, remember I said I have two pictures for you today? Two tools for you today about how to, how to fight this battle? in a way that's going to be seared in your brain forever. What was the first one? Say it out loud right now. What was his phrase? What was Nacho Libre's phrase? Say it right now out loud. Thank you. I'm going to give you one more chance. You know the answer. What's the first image seared in your mind? Yeah, See, swat I swatted and get that corner out of my face. Uh, here's the second one. James 4:7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I have a second bit of imagery for you. Okay. I'm going to get my mic stand situated because it's getting real. And I want to give you practical tools about how to fight this battle and win. Okay. I brought some tools here. I got some tools. I got a nifty little store-bought, little big five. Wiffle ball bat, standard issue. No wiffle ball here. Where's my kids in the back? Where's Shep and Levi? Where's my kids at home? I'll give you five seconds to go get your kids at home. You know how hard it is to watch this thing at home with young kids? You guys do. A lot of you young parents, you, know, you get what I'm saying, okay? I'm going to give you a tool, all right? Like for me, for example, I've been doing this on, uh, personally on my own for some time. I had to do it the other morning. The other morning, I'm in the garage, you know, O dark 30, because that's when time you work out when you have small children. And I'm in the garage it's about 5 a.m. Just, I'm on the rower. I'm just pulling the row. And then out of nowhere comes this little thought, this little insidious, this little thought, just creeps up my brain stem. I don't know why I picture it's at the brain stem, but that's kind of where it starts. just kind of creeps up here, this thought. And it's not me. It's not the Father, because I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. Remember that. I am one with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So it wasn't Jesus. It had to be someone else. I believe it was the enemy. And this little thought from the enemy creeps up kind of like this wiffle ball. It just kind of sneaks up along the brainstem. stem. And the thought out of nowhere, inexplicably says, yeah, maybe, you know what, Ben, maybe your kids could get injured. Maybe they could get sick or severely injured or maybe even die. i was just thinking to myself, well, well, that wasn't from me. Well, that wasn't Jesus. And you know what? I don't like that at all. And I think that I can take that thought captive and I can make it obedient to Christ. And I take that little thought like this wiffle ball and I just say, get that corn out of my face. And I take that thought and I destroy it because I have victory in Jesus today, now, I'm not losing the battle. Maybe for you it's not about sickness or danger or insecurity for your kids. Maybe for you, it's loneliness and isolation. Maybe you're at home right now and you've been battling loneliness and isolation and that that voice just creeps up in your head and it's just kind of creeping subtly and slowly up your brainstem and it just wants to say, yeah, you should be alone and yeah, your community doesn't love you and you know what, they haven't called you and yeah, they don't care for you. You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna take that thought right here and you're gonna take the power of Jesus' name and you're gonna say, get that corn out of my face. That was a foul ball and if it comes back and it rolls at me, this is what I'm gonna do. Get that corn out of my face, man. I'm not afraid of that thought, because I'm taking every single thought captive, and maybe you're like some of us sometimes, and you get that thought in your head just creeps up along the brainstem, and it's like this wiffle ball, and it just tells you that little thought, that little voice says, you know what, yeah, you know, I don't think you're very gifted. I don't, I don't, I don't know that you're talented, really. I don't know that you have those strengths. I think you're less than. I think you're weaker than you think you are. And you take that thought as it's rising up and you just grab that thing and you just say, in the name of Jesus, get that cunt out of my face. Uh, Every single time. And when the ball comes back, you gotta do it again and again and again. And we never tire of doing it again and again and again. As many times as it wants to come back, we can stand in victory because Christ fought that battle and he will not let Satan have a foothold in here in our mind space. It's not his territory. He doesn't get to reside there. You know when Jesus says, "Father and me and I and the Father," he uses the word reside. He's taking up residence. You understand? And you have every single tool. Remember he said, "You have everything you need." Your protection has been secured, you guys. And so you can use the name of Jesus. Yeah, you're not going to use the name of corn, okay? But you're going to use the name of Jesus. You don't have other words. Fine. You don't have special prayers. Fine. You don't have scripture memorized. Okay. Do you have the name of Jesus? And what did Jesus say in the prayer? I've used the name you've given me, God. And they have that name. And they can use that name to do battle anywhere and everywhere the enemy tries to rise up against your victory in Christ. You're protected. Jesus prayed for your protection. God answered his prayer. That's the punchline. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus prayed for your protection. God responded. You're protected. You are. Whatever the lies are. Whatever the lies are for you. You fill in the blanks. I think you got that. I think you know it. Whatever it is. That's just number three. That's number three. We got you. We are one. We are joyful. We are protected. Number four, we are holy. You think that one's hard? Spiritual battles is hard and difficult and trying. This one's harder. We are holy. Number four, we are holy. Jesus said, they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart is just another word for holy. You know that? A lot of you knew that. That's what holiness means. It just means you're set apart. God designated you and put you aside. It means that we look different. We live different. We speak different. We view the world differently altogether because of God's holiness in us. You know, this is why I know this. I, know, I noticed this. This is why so many, so many of us don't like the Old Testament. And we're tired of the Old Testament, right? Because there's all this rules and regulations and all this holiness code. What's God doing? This is a tired God that just wants to make it all about rules and regulations and holiness. Why was he doing that? because he knew that his people would be set apart and look differently and actually attractive because of how different they are. They don't look like the world. They are different, altogether different. And when people look at us, me and you, because now fast forward to after the time of Jesus, and the old temple from the Old Testament is gone, the new temple is here. Where is it? It resides in you and I. That's what the apostle said, is that we are a living temple today. So wherever we go, we are wholly set apart. So one of the things I was reading, forgive me, I'm sweating a little bit. You guys sweating? Let's, we're, we're one in our sweating today. Someone's grossed out. Someone needs to do spiritual battle over me talking about sweat right now. And they need to just knock that thing out there. Just, it's okay. It's just sweat. It's a normal bodily function, okay? We're okay. We're good. And we're reading with our men's group out of Exodus 30. And it was ta- God was talking about the, the tools and the preparation of the most holy place, the tabernacle, where God was going to dwell with the people. Crazy, like in person. And he's talking about all the different sacraments and all the elements that need to be clean and holy. And there's this phrase, most holy to the Lord. You'll read it and you'll remember it now. Most holy to the Lord. Is that, that, what does that mean? It means not to be used for any other purpose. You see, when Jesus says you all, us all are, are to be holy, we're living on our purpose. And the opposite is true. When we, when I lash out, when I lash out against my, my kids in anger, when I rise up against my wife with selfishness, I'm against my actual purpose as a, as a holy set-apart temple of the Lord. I'm running against my purpose. We've been set apart to the Lord. It's holy unto the Lord. It's our whole function for being. So that's why you notice that. That's why it feels so off. When you're in conflict with the world, You know, in this political season, when we're in conflict with the world and we're treating someone not as God's glorious creation, that's why you sense in your spirit, why do I feel so yucky right now? What is this gross feeling I have? It's because you're against the grain of your actual purpose when we lash out in sin. We're against our functional purpose. So Jesus calls us to be holy. That's a tough one, you guys, because it impacts our lifestyle, doesn't it? It's one thing to come to church on Sunday and worship and listen to the word. It's one thing to drive in our cars and listen to the podcast. It's one thing to have our personal private prayer life. But our lifestyle, when we're out there with the unbelieving world, does our lifestyle look different 24-7? Do we look different? That's the challenge. And the prayer that Jesus offers for us, it's not do more. This is something that Jesus imparts to every single one of us. These five things are gifts given He gives us a gift of holiness. That's number four. Finally, number five, and the band can come up right now, and we're going to worship. Finally, we are sent. As you're filling out, you're filling the blanks and you're at home taking notes, number five is we are sent. Again, we forget this, guys. Listen, Listen to what Jesus prays on our behalf. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And I set myself apart. There's that holiness thing again on their behalf so that they too may be truly set apart. You know, we have marching orders, right? That's what Christ gives us in this prayer. You're not commissioned by your parents for better or worse. They did the best they could, Christian or not. You're not commissioned by your parents. You don't get your sentness from your parents. You don't get your sentness, your commissioning, your orders, your instructions is a more simple word. You don't get your instructions from all your wounds and scars from your life past. You definitely don't get your instructions from the world. You're not sent from the world to the world. You're sent from your oneness. Remember point number one, number one, we are in the Father and the Father is in us. We are sent from our unity in the Father. And you're probably asking, Ben, okay, that's really cute and fun to know where we came from. But what are the specific instructions? What should we do about this? And here's an even more canned pastor response that you would expect me to say. The answer is that we love one another. That's how. That's our instructions. How are we holy? How are we set apart? What tools are we given? We have the word. We have Jesus' name. But we also have incarnation. You know what incarnation is? It's Christ moved into the neighborhood. That's what incarnation is. It means that Jesus, from from his heavenly form, took on flesh, became a human being, and he moved into the neighborhood. And we do the same thing, you guys. As a worldwide, not just American, as a worldwide body of believers, we are incarnated. We represent and reflect Jesus everywhere we go. His love is our love, sent to the whole world. That's what holiness is, is we actually represent Jesus. And this love that Jesus speaks of, it's not just a feeling. If it's a feeling, this whole experiment is daft. (laughs) It's dumb. It's mental. It's not worth it. If the love that Jesus preached is to look any differently than the world, it can't be a fleeting feeling. It's not just because we wake up in the morning and we feel like it. It's loved defined as sacrifice. Loved defined as obedience. And that's what one of these church fathers, one of these early authors that we talked about before, Tertullian and Chrysostom, this is what they said. They said, since God's will alone is that which is truly good in any situation, then love acts in obedience to God's will under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Feelings of compassion and this love we're talking about will be present as the disciples, as you and I move more and more perfectly, as we, as we more and more perfectly share God's own love for those around him and her. That's our assignment. Let me just tell you, I feel like that's our encouragement, our reminder for this morning. Why don't you close your eyes and I'm gonna pray over you. I wanna give you a blessing for every single one of you at home, online in the comments, in person. I want to give you a blessing, a reaffirmation of your instructions, a reaffirmation of your assignment. You see, Jesus prayed to the Father, and God responded. He answered his prayer for you today, not just the disciples living 2,000 years ago, but you today, that you would be one as the Father and Jesus were one. that you would be filled with joy, that you would be protected, that you would be holy, that you would be sent. These are your assignments. These are your gifts given to you freely because Jesus asked and God responded. So wherever you've drifted to, whatever you're thinking and feeling, whatever words you have in your head that you need to swat away And bat away this morning. Do it now in this time, in this song. This song is designed for you, that you're no longer a slave to old thought patterns, to old lies from the enemy, but you are alive in Christ, and you are a son and a daughter in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer, Father. I ask for every single person here, young and old, let them have a reaffirmation of their assignment in Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.